Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. Uh, Dan, Mike, Gabe, and Parker still talking about Wild at Heart. We finally made it to the last three chapters, chapter 10, 11, and 12. Woo-hoo! <laughs> so if you have, if you have stayed with us um, and kept reading, and this is one of the things that, that I really do think is important. Um, that, you know, there's a, a concept out there that men don't read. Uh, and I have talked to countless men over the years and uh, just about the idea of reading. And one of the comments that I generally get from men is, um, you know what I mean? Like finish a book. And I'm like, yeah, like finish a book. Um, and so, you know, starting books is, is not reading. Uh, finishing books is reading. So uh, if you have picked up Wild at Heart um, and you have put it down, pick it back up, keep it going. Uh, because it uh, it ends really, really well. There's some great things uh, in the last few chapters that you want to get. So who wants to start us off? Chapter 10, A Beauty to Rescue. We joked about Parker being the one to start us off. Age 22, not married yet. I think we'll go with one of the one of the married guys. <laughs> he's, he's still trying to figure out his, his beauty to rescue. So, Well, I, I'll jump into the deep end of the pool. So I, I had this wrong for so long. Mm. It wasn't a beauty to rescue for me. It was a woman to worship me. Mm. I mean, when I got married, I told my wife, hey, you make me happy. You have that full-time job now for the rest of your life. There you go. That's your role. <laughs> Instead of, was that in the who vows? doesn't want to <laughs> sign up for that? Yeah. <laughs> well, she didn't know she didn't want to. Uh, but that's where I was off. You know, it was, it was out of her strength. I wanted her to worship me. Instead of what Gabe pointed out earlier, out of our strength, yes. we give to our wives. Yes. And if I'm not operating from there, there's no chance to rescue the beauty. Yeah. You know, such a different. Mindset. I want to look like, yep. as Eldred says, I want to look like the knight in the shining armor, but not bleed like the knight. Mm. So uh, a lot of what the beauty to rescue that spoke to me in this was how am I going to help her with her wound? Or am I going to contribute to what's already been laid on top of her? Mm. Where, where am I going to minister? This is my first mission field. This is the one I'm supposed to wash with the word. Yep. And that's how I'm going to start by understanding who she is, the wound she had, and how I'm going to love that woman in a manner that doesn't glorify me or anchor her to me, but points her back to Christ. Because I've figured it out. I'll never fulfill my wife, but I sure as heck ought to be able to point her to the one that can. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it, he he mentions in here that under the shadow of a man's strength, a woman finds her rest. Mm. Uh, and I think, man, it's just such a beautiful picture of like what real manhood looks like in the context of a relationship, whether it's a dating relationship mm-hmm. or a marriage relationship or, or even a friendship for that matter. Um, but man, I, I think that's so beautiful that we're using the strength that God has given us uh, not to expend on our own uh, efforts or even our own uh, advancement, uh, but rather on on her and providing her rest and security. Uh, I mean, Ephesians is going to tell us exactly what what we are to do with our wives, and that's present her as blameless, right? Yeah. Like the, that that's our job, that's our calling as as men within the context of marriage is to lead well, uh, so that at the at the day of judgment, she she goes before the Father blameless. 
uh, that we have, we have helped her uh, assume that position uh, of total dependence and reliance, not on us, uh, but on, on Jesus. Um, as we follow him, they can follow us then securely. Uh, and so I love that. I did think it was interesting that we go um, straight from like several chapters of fighting mm-hmm. into women. Uh, and so like some of this is kind of weird, but I love that it's this idea of rescuing. But I also love the idea that uh, while he addresses this in, in the previous three chapters of us fighting a battle for our own hearts, uh, that, that we as men also have a responsibility to fight for our women yes. uh, and for their hearts. Uh, and so I, I love this, this, it's almost like a complementary contrast, um, in that like, yes, we're fighting on both ends. Um, and, and I just love the fact that he says, man, uh, when it comes to women, especially our wives for those, those that are married, uh, we've got to remember what it's like to fight for them, uh, and to, and to fight for, uh, all that we want. Um, and, and what, what we how we can use our strength in order again to provide rest and shade for them. Yeah. I think one of the things when we need to throw this out as well, um, page 187, Eldridge says, says this, he says, most men want the maiden without any sort of cost to themselves. They want the joys of the beauty without any of the woes of the battle. This is the sinister nature of pornography, enjoying the woman at her expense. And I think that's right. So often, um, you know, finding yourself settling for um, something less than God's best for you um, and realizing that um, you think that it doesn't cost, right? Because you get what you want without a cost. But the, the reality is, is one, you don't get what you really need. Uh, and that is the heart of a woman. Uh, and what you end up paying is far more, right, than you ever would have you know, thought or imagined. And so I think that the concept that he tries to give us in this book is um, the battle for a woman's heart, the battle to be um, the husband, the man, um, the leader of your home um, is one that you can't shirk that particular duty. Um, And so many men do feeling like they're going to get something cheaper and easier. um, And all you get is something less than. Yeah. We we default to thinking that rescuing the beauty means a a paycheck Mm -hmm. and a provision. You know, we need to provide for the family, but more often than not, I've seen more marriages fail with guys that had six-figure incomes mm. that thought more money was going to make her happy when really she wants to know that you value her. You know, the questions he keeps asking me is, will I pursue her? Will I continue to choose her over me? Right. Will I encourage her? Will I notice her? Will I protect her? Will I die to myself for her? And it has nothing to do with will I get the next promotion at work? You know, we've missed the boat on provision uh, to be just physical and and not, I mean, if men's conversations between our ears is bad, the women's has got to be worse. Yeah. They're constantly told by the world, you're not good enough. Yeah. And then am I echoing that in how I talk to her? Uh, you know, so crushing. Yeah. Am I, what am I doing to protect her heart, to guard her heart, to offer the strength in that? On a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. A quote that I found helpful on, on page 195 um, was written by, it says, a young pilot uh, in the RAF wrote just before he went down in 1940, the universe is so vast and so ageless 
that the life of one man can only be justified by the measure of his sacrifice. Mm. And I thought in terms of like fighting for our wives and, and fighting for women, like is that the, is that the stand that we take is like, how might we sacrifice for them? Uh, again, using our strength for their good. Um, one thing that I did, that, that was just a side note to add to what you said, Mike, but w- one thing that I did want to bring up, um, and I just wrote in the margins, I'd like to unpack this. <laughs> uh, and so I'm asking this sort of as a question, okay. uh, but also just a, as maybe a spark for conversation. Uh, he says in here on page 191 that most men, you see, marry for safety. Mm. They choose a woman who will make them feel like a man but never really challenge them to be one. Uh, And so again, like I I didn't take the time to like unpack this in my own brain. And so I was wondering if maybe we can just kind of um, discuss this idea of marrying for safety um, rather than looking for a woman who's going to push us to be the man that I think God calls us to be. I love that. I I didn't have that as a perspective when I was 20 looking for a wife. Mm. I wanted a wife that was attractive and, my wife is gorgeous. She, she, she got me the first moment she looked at me, but I never asked that question. So maybe the introspection here is why am I not asking that question? Yeah. Uh, cause that should be the criteria number one. Yeah. Uh, I know Dan, you have mentioned this, this a bunch. The worst thing to hear with a bunch of men around the table is I have kicked my coverage. How sad is that for so, her? So we we're in the seasons of, of going to a bunch of weddings um, cause a lot of our nieces, nephews, things like that are all getting married. It's funny cause we were just at a, um, uh, rehearsal dinner and that was the thing that they said, right. You know, he out kicked his coverage and it's funny, right. Cause, um, you know, to me it's, it's a, it's a negative for the girl, right. It's the, well, hang on a second, right. What you just said is she settled for some guy that, you know, she could have done way better than, um, so that, that's an interesting concept, right? I mean, I, I think back to when I met Trisha, I was at a particular place in my life. Um, that that's what I wanted, right? That that's what I wanted is I wanted the complete package, and I wanted a woman who um, would be able to push back on me and challenge me. Um, and it was interesting. Um, one of the one of the particular scenarios that happened during that time, um, and, and you know, uh, I was in law school, um, and there was a girl in law school who was interested in me, uh, and Trisha was um, an undergrad um, getting her elementary education degree. Um, and the other girl said something about Trisha, like, oh, well, you're kind of settling for a girl who's getting her elementary education degree as if, right, marrying a lawyer, right, would be all that in a bag of chips. And it's funny because I'm kind of like, okay, so here's the deal, <laughs> right? What Trisha offers isn't her degree. It's her whole person, everything about her, right? The degree is something a college is handing her. Um, she's going to go get, you know, a job and, and do something right. But um, the idea that because a person's getting a law degree, they're a higher value of a person is completely and utterly ridiculous and stupid. And so, and so I, I mean, I laughed at that because I was just like, you know, and Trisha had, a, you know, kind of like a, oh, maybe she's right. Maybe I'm not as significant as this other person. And I was like, no, not true. Right. You're so much better than her that she feels like she has to put you down to make herself feel good. And the way that she puts you down is looking at the degree that you're getting. And I was like, that's ridiculous and stupid. Um, And I go, I go back to, you know, when, when Peter is writing um, about, um, you know, men uh, in first Peter, it says, um, you know, husbands uh, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And so often we get that 
mistaken, right? That, you know, women are weaker than we are um, and we should value them because, you know, we provide for them. And, and I get from this that Peter's talking about weaker, meaning they're more precious and that we need to value them um, because in a sense, you know, we're made of dirt and they're made of, you know, um, fine China, right? That's the, the reference we get from that is a fine China verse. And so, like, I think Eldridge is, is pointing out something that's super important for men to grasp, right? And that is um, that finding a woman um, who can challenge you and make you a better man um, is such a great gift to a man, not somebody that you can lord over or dominate, not something that you can press down upon, um, but a woman that has goals and aspirations and loves the Lord and is running hard after him that challenges you to be all that God has created you to be, that then becomes right a lifelong journey that you have with somebody as opposed to, you know, look at what I'm doing. I'm providing for you. I'm taking care of you, right? I'm doing all this, you know, you're insignificant. And it's like, that's, that's not going to make a great marriage and it's not going to last very long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, as I'm trying to like process this, this particular sentence in this book, um, a, a, a couple of words that, that stuck out was a woman who makes them feel mm-hmm. like a man yep. versus one that challenged them to be one. Yeah. Uh, and I think this goes back to kind of this centralized question of where the book started of man, where, where we, um, where are we finding our definition of what a man is? Uh, if it's based on how I feel or the way that others around me make me feel, man, then I've bought into everything that the culture would, would have me buy into, everything that the enemy would try to distract me with, yep. rather than how God actually intended for me to be, how my creator uh, knit me together in the ways that he's wired me together as a man and, and the responsibilities that I should have uh, and the ways that I should behave. Um, I, I think there's a a really stark difference between, and I think that's why he says, man, we can marry for safety. Uh, that would be safety by the world's standard saying, man, I'm really comfortable. <laughs> she doesn't really push me to be any better. She just makes me feel and look good. Um, rather than, man, she's going to, she's going to point out my flaws. Mm. Um, she's going to challenge the areas where I'm prideful or where I'm arrogant. Um, she's going to call me, uh, call me out whenever things are untruthful or when I'm being too harsh or critical. Um, and I think all of these things, man, these are, these are not areas where our wives are given license to wound us, but rather to sharpen us. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the point that he's trying to make is at the end of the day, man, we need to be looking and Parker, this goes for you too. Like as you're looking to date, not that you're looking for a wife or anything, but, um, but even for the, for the young kids that are listening, like yeah. if we're looking to date like man we've got to have some standards like are we just looking for the pretty girl are we looking for like you said dan like the total package that's going to that's going to challenge us and push us to be all that god has created us to be not to just make us feel good so it reminds me of the story of richard wormbrand and i'm probably butchering the last name romanian pastor during uh in in, Mm. during ceausescu's reign where the communist state was taking over the church and they held the Congress with all the priests and the pastors and, and essentially the government saying, Hey, you no longer have religion. We are your religion. Yep. And his wife looks at him and says, Richard, you better stand up and say something. And he looks at his wife, <laughs> petite woman uh, in the midst of this big Congress altogether. And he's like, you know, if I say something, they're going to put me in prison. That's right. And she turns to him and says, I don't want to have a coward as a husband. Mm. You know, 
anchored in the love of Christ, she she just slaps the truth right on his face. Yep. He stands up and boldly professes, this is not the religion. I follow the one true Christ. Yep. But it's that, that helpmate who in a potential moment of weakness in a crowd of his peers, am I going to back down? And here's the strength of a woman who's going to challenge him and be his helpmate and sure. say, this is what you should do. And I'm right here with you the whole way. Mm-hmm. He spent 12 years <laughs> in the prisons because of that stand. He would get out and go right back to the gospel and end up right back in there. Mm-hmm. But here's a woman next to him as a helpmate that challenged him, said, no, I won't let you tarnish the name of Christ. You'll stand up and renounce what the government's doing. Yeah, that's so great. What, what, that's actually a great segue to chapter 11 uh, as we talk about the adventure to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, much of what you just described is a woman then pushing or encouraging uh, her husband to go live a dangerous adventure, uh, one that would find him not at home uh, having meals around the table, but rather uh, living the majority of his life, it sounds like, in a prison cell. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, guys, an adventure to live. Where do we start with this? I think going off of that idea of embracing risk as the theme of our life, what Mm -hmm. he said. And um, the idea that we don't experience all God has for us until we have to live with that need of faith and the situation Mike just talked about of, hey, I don't know what happens if I say something, but that gap is either going to be filled with worry and doubt or that gap can be filled with what God has for you. And I think if you never live with a gap or a lot of us call it just being control of everything, then that's where it gets super, super dangerous um, but if men live without a gap that can be filled with God, it's like then you can never be with, you can never do um, with what God has for us. And so uh, when you have risk that allows that space to be open and allows God to be like, hey, now I can use you, now I can mold you, now we can change things. Um, and I think risk is such a big theme for this last, um, for this chapter 11 of like having an adventurous life. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the Jim Elliot's of the world. Mm. Right. You take those guys and, and you run down, you know, to South America and, um, you know, take the gospel and they all get killed. And you're like, what a waste of a life. And you're like, no, not a waste of a life. Right. And you got Elizabeth Elliot, you know, continuing to, to you know, take on that mission um, because it was so significant. It was so important. Um, and, you know, and you just you think about that idea that I think so many um, men fall prey um, to the world's definition of what success is. Um, and I'm like, that's, that's the easiest thing to achieve. Right. I mean, I, I work at a, you know, Christian school. We kind of laugh at the idea of, you know, so many people want their kids to, you know, do well, get good grades and get into a good college. And I'm like, for what? Uh, to get a good job for what, you know, to be successful for what? For, I mean, seriously, Ser- you know, what I mean? like that to me, that's the easiest thing that we can do for your kid right? Is to somehow find the right score, somehow get them into the right college, somehow get the right job, right? But at the end of the day, when you turn seven and you look back at your life, if there's nothing meaningful and significant, if you've not done anything that's eternal and you haven't lived for the Lord and said, God, what did you create me for? Then you've missed the whole thing. And I think that, I think that you know, if, if I look at wild at heart, um, you know, there, there may be a few things that I'm like, yeah, I wish he didn't do this or I wish he didn't do that. But I will say the essence of the book pushes you to ask the big questions of life. And that's what I love about this book. Yeah. What am I going to risk yes. for the Lord? Uh, I'll, I'll steal another movie scene. So up in the air, George Clooney is the hatchet man. He goes and he cuts the guys at the job who have been there 20 years. And he's sitting across from him 
from a dude who's put in 30 years and now he's getting his walking papers and the guy just can't wrap his mind around how this is a good thing. Clooney and his peers trying to sell that this is a new step. This is a rebirth. And he's like, are you kidding me? But the great anchor in the story is that uh, he asked him, hey, it looks like you, you minored in French culinary arts. How much did it cost you to give up your dream to cook for a living? Mm. And the air sucks out of that man's anger who's yeah. just been fired. And he says, 27 grand a year. And, and it's that same settling for what the world will have for us when this great adventure is right there in front of us. God's offering a piece in this grand story. What will I risk? And, and, the, and Parker started with, you know, risking it, which is just another way to say, will I trust him yes. with the outcome? Yes. Will I, will I not m- manage the outcome? Will I trust him in the obedience to participate in the adventure? Or will I sell out for twenty seven grand a year? Yep. Yeah, that's great. I, there's a there's a quote that he he puts in here. He says, uh, "We are in constant danger of being not actors in the drama of our lives, but reactors." Mm. And then he puts in quotes to go where the world takes us, to drift with whatever current happens to be running the strongest. Amen. Man, mm. And I just Such wrote, I just wrote in here, it's like, man, this circles us all the way back to the beginning of yep. like, we've got to have a target. Like yep. young men, uh, as you're reading this book, you have to have a target of what it looks like to, to live a life of risk and adventure, um, not trying to be in control of everything. Because here's the deal is nobody drifts anywhere on purpose. Yep. Like that's the nature of drifting is you're actually getting further away from the target that you're sailing towards. And so drift is never a good thing. Uh, And so living this life of adventure and risk uh, is sounds dangerous, but it's very purposeful. Uh, And this purpose, again, is not what drives our identity, but our identity, as you guys said, in Jesus is what then gives us the the hope and the courage uh, and and the ability to take this risk, knowing that, man, wherever this ship sails, I'm not drifting. I'm actually sailing towards exactly what he has for me. And I'm just going to trust that he's got my back when I get there. Yeah. I like when he wrote this. This is the one I underlined. It said, uh, page 200, it said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Yeah, the world doesn't need another doctor, another lawyer. What the world needs is doctors, lawyers, coaches sold out for the adventure in Christ. Yep. That's what the world needs. Yeah, but don't, we settle. Don't don't just be another guy taking up space, making a bunch of money, living in a big house, right? Go do something significant with your life, and don't worry about right the the outcome of whatever else goes with it. Don't worry what the cost is, right? Worry what the cost of not doing what God has created you for. That's the great cost that so many men don't end up paying. Well, how does it end? Chapter twelve, Parker. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that far. No, uh, uh, just finishing with it's our turn, um, I guess, to take on um, what God has for us in the journey. And it's um, our life that is, I guess, the next sentences in the yep. page. Yep. Um, but just like echoing chapter three that finishes, honestly, it sounds like what you could put in chapter 12. It says, the journey begins when the false self fails. And I think you can't start chapter 12 of your life until you remove that idea of this false self, of this need of... Um, some sort of affirmation from yourself or some sort of affirmation from a female or some sort of affirmation um, from your job or anything like that, that it your your journey begins, chapter 12 begins in our life um, when we take that false self and we when we kill it 
and we are now alive in Christ. Amen. So, yeah. The only thing worse than not starting the adventure today is waiting till tomorrow. It's the only thing worse. God didn't raise us up to be ordinary. Yeah. I love chapter 12 because I think it fits with everything that we try to do on training for manhood um, isn't to sit and listen, um, but to listen so you can go do. Yeah. And I, I love the book. The book isn't about reading it so you can get more information. This is not an information book. Uh, this is a book meant to uh, inspire, to challenge, uh, to move you to make a difference. Uh, and if, uh, if this book does not move you, if your life is not altered because of it, if you do not begin to ask these questions and then say, what can I do different and get off your duff and go do it, uh, then this book was a waste of time and you missed the point of what Eldridge was trying to get across. Yeah, and at the very end, he gives a lot of really great resources. I know there's a field manual that goes with this book. Uh, it's kind of a workbook that you can work through. Uh, he encourages you, don't do it by yourself. Yep, do it with uh, some guys. Do it with a bunch of other guys, which then just reaffirms everything that he's talked about before. I love it. Uh, and so, yeah, he's got a lot of really great things, just to, even in the appendix of some different daily prayers that you can say and things like that that I, I've found to be really helpful. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that was Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, one of the great um, man books. Um, our next book that we're going to dive into, and hopefully you'll get this and go through it with us, uh, is Timothy Keller's uh, book, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, so get it. Uh, give us a couple months, and we'll be back uh, with some more on training for manhood. Uh, Mike, Gabe, and Parker, uh, thanks for the conversation and for being willing to read a book and finish it uh, and, uh, and having a conversation with us uh, and our listeners today. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.